Well, church, hello. <laughs> Good morning, Northwest Congregation. If you are uh, new to our church or if you've been coming the north, north to west this entire time you've been here, you probably don't know who I am. Uh, my name is Jimmy McNeil, and I serve as an elder at our West Congregation, as well as our West Congregation worship pastor. And as many of y'all very well know, we have a shared pulpit across all of our congregations. And I get the privilege of preaching here right in front of y'all today. And let me just say it right now, y'all look good. <laughs> Man, y'all a good-looking good group of people, all right? And um, I know that people are watching this online as well, and also it's getting streamed to our other campuses. So St. John, I love y'all. Man, I hope y'all are doing well this morning. Some of y'all probably clap too because that's what y'all do over there, and I love it. Uh, all the folks at our South Congregation, I love y'all as well. Um, oh, what a joy it is to have people um, leading y'all in worship and, and pointing you to Jesus. And then uh, my folks up at North, I want to say, what it do, what it do. That actually means hello. Uh, so hello, North. Um, I know Jared just led y'all well in worship this morning. Uh, and my brothers and sisters at our West Congregation, I miss y'all, but I love y'all. I'll see y'all next week, all right? Um, for those of you watching online, I'm glad that you're watching and you're listening to this message. We've got a lot to cover today, all right? So I want to just jump right in. All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew 27. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. Um, but we've been in Matthew for a few years. Yeah, y'all laugh, but it's true. We've been in Matthew for a few years, and by God's grace, next Sunday will be the resurrection lands on that Sunday. It's perfectly landing on Easter. But to, on this Palm Sunday, this Palm Sunday, I get to preach to you about the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. Ha! Man, all right. So... The last two weeks, we've been unpacking the sin and responses of both Simon Peter and Judas, right? They both exchanged Jesus for something. They did. For Judas, it was for 30 pieces of silver, and he tried to give that back. And then for Peter, it was, for, it was because of the fear or of the approval of man within, within his denial. And this week, we're going to continue to talk about this exchange. And now we look at the exchange that Jesus made for us, for us. My prayer is that God would stir your heart to soberly, soberly remember Christ's sacrifice during this week that we call Holy Week. But in order for us for this to happen, we have to understand the context in which Jesus made his exchange. We got to understand that he was willing to make his exchange in becoming sin for us while we were doing our own exchanging. While we were exchanging him away for other things. John Piper says it like this. I call him Johnny P. So Johnny P says it like this. Sin is that power within us that looks at the glory of the immortal God and says, I prefer man. I prefer money. I prefer power. I prefer fame. And that's exactly what we're seeing here in Matthew 27. It is. And again, if you have your Bibles... We're going to turn to Matthew 27. We'll be looking at it, verses 11 through 44. Yep, I said 11 through 44. That's 33 verses, y'all. That's a lot to cover, all right? So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump right in. I'm going to pray again because I think I need to. Here we go. Lord, I just simply want to ask you, God, would you use me as your vessel, Lord, to preach and exposit this passage? Lord, we're going to have a Bible study right now. Lord, I pray, God, that you would use these words, Lord, and that you would speak clearly through, this, through me this morning. God, I love you. 
Would you speak to all of us watching, listening, and Lord, all of us in this room right now. Would you speak to us, Lord, across all of our congregations. God, I love you. Thank you for this time and this opportunity to preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all, for context, um, I want to bring you to the place where this narrative is right now, right? So last night, okay, last night Jesus had been betrayed, and then he was tried by the religious authorities and convicted of blasphemy. That happened last night. So that happened in secret as well, and it's now the next morning. And Jesus had just been handed over to Pilate, the governor, because in order for them to enact the death penalty on Jesus, there would need to be a civil trial. Because they didn't have the authority to kill him over just blasphemy. And only the Romans can hand down that death penalty that they wanted. So Pilate is now questioning Jesus. Here we are. Verse 11. Let's read it together. You ain't got to read it with me, but I'm just going to read it over you. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many, how many things that they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even, a single, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. He was greatly amazed. The Jewish leaders tell Pilate, this dude, he claims to be the king of the Jews. And by telling him that, such a claim to kingship would be a direct challenge to Caesar himself. So Pilate asked him point blank, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus' simple answer is, you have said so. You have said so. The chief priests, they keep accusing him one after the next, right? That one thing after the next. And Pilate is amazed that Jesus never said a single word. He wouldn't even defend himself. And actually, after saying, you have said so, I don't know if you knew this, but after saying the words that he shared there, he wouldn't say another word until he was hanging on the cross. And as I read this this week, I had the thought of Jesus when he was preaching on the Sermon of the Mount. And he said this in Matthew 5. And he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is embodying his own teaching as he walks in obedience. Do you see that? He's embodying in all of his teaching as he walks in obedience. And he even tells Pilate that his kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. Luke's account tells us that Pilate sends him to Herod, and then he's mocked there, and then they send him right back. And that's where we find ourselves in these next verses as the crowd gathers again at the governor's, at the governor's house. He says this at the feast. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. He knew it. And here's the weighty exchange. Here's the crux of the message this morning. This exchange of truth for a lie. Jesus, he was perfect. He was sinless. He was spotless. He had done nothing wrong. He helped people. He healed them. He actually called out sin. Yes, he did that. But he was also godly. He was faithful. He was righteous. And he was faultless. 
And these people had just a few days earlier, what we celebrate even today, this, these people a few days earlier welcomed him into town, waving palm branches, singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. That's what I hear in my head, all right? So that, that, I got to make it real. So they're singing that, right? And they're saying that he is this Savior that they had hoped for and longed for. So on one hand, on one side, right, we have Jesus, the Son of God, the Father. And then on the other side, we have Barabbas. Barabbas. I don't know if you knew this, but they also called Barabbas Jesus Barabbas. Some translations say that. Because of his revolutionary claims and this violent uprising that he had led against the governing authorities. That's why they called him that. But Barabbas, he was a criminal, a murderer, a thief. He was extremely notorious. When you think of sin or a sinful human being, you think of this dude. Yep, that dude right there. That dude, man, that dude is sinful. That's who you think about. When you, when you think about sin and you look at Jesus and you look at him, that's who you say, yes, that guy deserves what he is doing. That, that he deserves death. And this is the reason why Pilate is offering this deal. It's because he doesn't see any guilt or fault in Jesus. And so he doesn't know what to do with him because even though he was innocent, the people were wanting to kill him. And so this was his way out, Pilate's way out. In his mind, he thought, man, to offer the choice between Jesus and Barabbas, he was like, man, surely, surely, surely they'll pick Jesus over this murderer, this notorious murderer. But he was wrong. He was wrong. And this exchange also correlates to Leviticus 16, and it tells us this in Leviticus that, that there was a scapegoat, right? There was a goat who was, was sacrificed for the sins of the people, and then there was this goat that was set free to go into the wilderness and be set free. That's a direct correlation to what's happening right here. That's a picture of the story and of us, because if you did not know this yet, we represent Barabbas. We do. We represent him in the story. We are the criminal. We're the murderer. We're the thief. We're the ones that without a doubt, yep, that dude on this stage right now, that dude is sinful. That girl sitting in that audience, yes, she is sinful. The person listening to me right now, yes, they are sinful. We are Barabbas. And as I was studying this passage this week, I found something really interesting and really awesome. I learned something new this week, y'all. Do you know what the word Barabbas means? Have you ever thought about it? Y'all can talk to me. You know what it means? Okay, no, most of y'all said nah. Sabar means son of Abba, which is father. Barabbas, son of the father. What? (laughs) That blew my mind this week, y'all. Knowing that God would be so intricate in the details of this story that he would let the name of the person who represents us, who represents the worst of the worst, an extremely sinful man that would be set free because of the sacrificial love of Christ, that his name would be the son of the father. If that doesn't ignite a fire in your soul this morning, (laughs) I wonder if this will. The son of the father, Barabbas, (laughs) was exchanged for the Son of God, the Father. And Barabbas was given pardon. He was given freedom. After all the crimes he had committed, this prisoner, this person who was in bondage was actually set free. 
He was set free, and Jesus was given the punishment that Barabbas deserved. And how can we, how can you and me, sinners like us, be called son of the Father? The only way. The only way was for the true and better son of God, the Father, who had to take our place. He had to exchange our place. He had to exchange our place for his. There was an exchange that took place. He exchanged himself for us. We are Barabbas, church. We are. Our sin, no matter the weight of it, no matter the intense nature of it, we are the ones who should be guilty. Not Jesus. Yet. And still, Jesus steps in and exchanges his place for ours. That's what he does. Even Pilate and his wife saw a glimpse of this righteousness that Jesus embodied, right? Look at uh, Matthew 27, verses 19 through 20. It says this, have nothing. She said this, she sent word to him, say, have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream or an omen is what they called it. And then the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Pilate knew something. He knew something about this was not okay. It wasn't okay, and he tries to persuade the crowd not to do this. Even he, as a non-believer, knew what the right thing was to do. He knew that Jesus was innocent, and his persuasion doesn't work. Because the chief priests and the elders, they begin to persuade the crowd to ask for the Barabbas and to destroy him and destroy Jesus. Doesn't that sound a little bit familiar to us <laughs> Doesn't it sound familiar? Like, man, where people are persuaded to do or say something that isn't true or right. That sounds familiar to me because so often we, like the crowd, we are persuaded by false truths. We are persuaded to believe lies alternative to what Scripture says, church. We are persuaded. And I could preach for 45 minutes just on that, but we got a lot of verses. I'm going to keep going. Verse 21 says this. This is Pilate. He tries to persuade the crowd yet again to think differently and not crucify Jesus. He says this in verse 21. Which of the two do you want me to release? He said. And they say, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified, crucified, crucified. Prophecy after prophecy was being fulfilled in these moments. Even the governor, this ruler, Pilate, couldn't thwart the plans that God had already laid out to come into fruition. The crowd shouted, let him be crucified. And Jesus, knowing he was innocent, he stood there silent. He did nothing. He said nothing. It reminded me of 1 Peter 2, 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He stood there silent. Verse 24, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, 
But rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. Y'all see to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. Pilate washes his hands. That's another tragedy in this. That's another tragedy. He washes himself of the only thing that could actually save him. This is another way of exchanging Jesus away. It's not just limited to hatred. It's not just limited to hating him and wishing him dead. No, we can also exchange Jesus away by not taking a stand. Pilate knew that if he stood up for Jesus here right now in this moment and declared him innocent of these charges and let him go free, he would face a riot from the people. There would be consequences. There would be this threat of his own job. And so instead of claiming or clinging to what he knew to be true about Jesus, he just ignored it. He decided not to do anything about it. He decided not to take a stand for Jesus. Church, I got to tell you, (laughs) passivity does not equal innocence. It doesn't. The blood of Jesus is the only hope for any of us. And this phrase that they use, his blood be on us and our children, this phrase that they use here, these wise fools, y'all, these wise fools, they were speaking truth, but in a, way, in a very foolish way. They were condemning others and themselves. And this is exactly what the people in rejection to Jesus say, his blood be on us and our children. But oh, how sweet. How sweet it is of the Lord Jesus to let them say these words. Because the fact is this, that their only hope, their only hope, their only hope is his blood. And this is in fact our only hope. Our hope isn't found in the fact that we embraced and loved and obeyed Jesus. None of us did. None of us did first. Our hope is found, and even though we rejected him and put him to death with our sins, that we would actually be covered. And covered by what? We'd be covered by his blood. His blood would be on us and our children for the forgiveness of our sins. And I think it's ironic that these people, this crowd, this city, who had just... <laughs> A few days earlier, welcomed him in with loud shouts and palm branches saying, Hosanna. Yeah, the song's still in my head. Happening, like doing that. But now they're pushing him out or pushing him away, shouting, crucify, crucify. Do you see their misguidance? Do you see it? Do you see their foolishness? I did. I saw it. I see it now. But the question is, do we see a recognition of how quickly, how quickly we too can be swayed the moment that following Jesus will cost us something? How quickly we can be swayed the moment following Jesus will cost you something. We do the same things, y'all. We do. 
We welcome him in when things are going great and there's no direct opposition from him, right? We love having Jesus in the mix when things are going good or looking like they are in our favor. We do, but we push him away and we push his teachings away when he tells us to deny ourselves and pick up our cross of suffering and follow him. We shout, crucify, crucify, when we tell him, oh, Lord, I'll confess part of my sin, but I'm not going to confess it all. I got a standard I need to uphold over here. I need, these people need to like me. We shout, crucify, when we say, Lord, you want me to show grace? What? You want me to show grace to myself? You want me to show grace to my neighbor, that person that wronged me? No, I'm not showing grace. I'm not going to show grace with my words or my actions. The cross was not enough for them. I need to make them pay even more of a penalty. I need to do that. You want me to what, tame my tongue? James, what you talking about? You want me to tame my tongue? I'm not taming my tongue. I say what I want to say when I want to say what I want to say. You understand me? This is what we do. I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but this is what we do. We are like the crowd. We are like Barabbas. We also exchange the truth for lies. Verse 26. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him up to be crucified. You see the scourging that took place? This, was, this is what I remember the most about the movie, The Passion of the Christ. It really is. I remember leaving the theater thinking, man, Lord, I was crying. I remember thinking, God, I'm never going to sin again. I see what you went through. I see how you became my sin. I see it all. I'm never going to sin again. And y'all, guess what? I sinned again and again and again and again. And Jesus knew, he knew that that would happen. So that's why he went through with the scourging and the humiliation. Look at how he was treated by the soldiers. Verse 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. You see a battalion, that battalion that was there, scholars say that it's between 200 to 600 men. Right, So these were not just regular people, regular men. They were bloodthirsty men that were ready and willing to both harm and mock and also kill Jesus. And we keep reading, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. And they took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when, he had mocked, and when they had mocked him, they stripped him of a robe and of that robe and put his clothes on him and they led him away to crucify him. Let's keep reading. As they went out, they found a man of Serene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. Let me just stop there for a moment. I love God's sovereignty here, friends. I do. I love how we sang about it a few moments ago. I love how in this verse we see Jesus as fully man. We do. His skin is ripped from his body. Parts of his skin from the lashes and parts of his face and body were swollen from the multiple beatings that he had taken. And he was carrying these cross down steps, around corners, in the streets. He was carrying this cross. And then we see the soldiers tell this other man, hey, help him. He can't carry it. Pick up his cross. And as I was listening to Jen Wilkin this week, it amazed me. I love the way she teaches y'all. She's so good. She's so smart. She said this. She's like, man, 
That name sounds familiar. That name Simon, we just read about that a few verses before. That Simon was Peter. And she said, I don't think it's a coincidence that this Simon's name is Simon. I don't think it's a coincidence because it should make us think about, hold up, wait, where's Peter? Where are the disciples? It should make us think about where are the disciples? Where are they? Where are they? They had actually fled. They had fled or they didn't want to be seen or found out by the crowd that they were his disciples. If we just read someone named Simon right there, it would, we would think, man, that's got to be Simon Peter. Of course that's Simon Peter. He was the crazy one. He would always do crazy stuff. But all of this wasn't true. It wasn't Simon. It was Simon of Serene. But in all of this, the shouts of crucify him, choosing Barabbas over him, the surrendering and anointing justice by Pilate, the mockery and the beating from soldiers, Simon of Serene being there instead of Simon Peter, and the impending crucifixion and the forsaking of his heavenly father. All of this is a picture of the cost, the cost that Jesus was willing to pay to exchange places with us while we were still exchanging him away. Let's keep reading. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among, among, among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is the king of the Jews. Scripture tells us that this wine that they gave him was mixed with gall, right? Gall was something that would actually dull the pain. It would make him potentially die a little quicker, but it would be less painful. And he could taste it. Jesus could taste it, and he knew whatever was in that mix. He knew. He said, no. He said, no, I'm not. I'm not going to drink that. He wasn't going to cut corners. He wasn't going to take any shortcuts. He wanted to fully embrace all of the wrath that God had in store for sin. He wanted to embrace it all. He didn't partially want to bear it. He didn't partially want to bear the weight of our sin. No, he wanted to bear it fully and becoming our sin and being obedient. To the point of death, even death on a cross. Second Corinthians tells us this: For our sake, He made Him to who knew, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was and is the perfect exchange for our sin and shame. I want to read the rest of this passage, and then I'll leave you with some sobering thoughts. Verse 38. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who, were, who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. So also the chief priests With the scribes and elders, they mocked him by saying, he saved others and he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. He saved others. 
He cannot save himself. These chief priests, these elders, these onlookers, even the robbers next to him, they all mocked him. They had exchanged the truth about God for a lie. I read this and it made me think about me. How often I've done that. It made me think about us. How often we've done that. Because we have. Here's what Paul told the church in Rome. Romans 1 verses 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So... They are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give, him, or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. This is what we do. We do. We're supposed to not be of the world, but we have become like the world, church. We have often. Many of us. We start to not live like Christians who have an eternal, eternal Savior. We exchange him away. We look at the glory of the immortal God and we say, no, I prefer money. No, 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 no. I prefer man. No, I prefer fame. I prefer power. We are the crowd. We are the rabbis. We are the people saying, yes, his blood be on our hands and upon our children's because we now know that the only thing that can actually wash away our sins is Jesus' blood-bought sacrifice. He's the only one who actually can. There's a weightiness. There's a weightiness of the exchange of Jesus that he made for us because Isaiah tells us all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. All of us are sinful. All of us have our sins that we've committed. All of us have exchanged this truth of the gospel for a lie. Like Judas, we exchange Jesus for money. Like Peter, we exchange Jesus for security and safety. Just like Pilate, we exchange Jesus for power and control. And like the crowd, we exchange Jesus the moment that following him will cost us something. Y'all, even this week, as I was preparing this message... I was doing some exchanging. As I saw that it was 33 verses, I was like, man, I can't even share any cool stories. And I wanted y'all to like me because it's my first time to be in Northwest. So I'm like, I need y'all to approve of me. I need y'all to like what I'm about to say. And then I was like, all right, Lord, here's what I'm going to do. All right, here we go. I'm going to work as if working for man and not for you. That ain't what that verse say. It says, work as if working unto the Lord and not to man. That's exactly what that verse says. And y'all, I don't need your approval of this message this morning because God called me here to preach to you and therefore I am. So in what areas for you? I've spoken about me, but what about you? 
How have you exchanged the truth for a lie? Think about it. Really, think about it. Holy Spirit, would you bring things to mind for all of us in this room and those listening to my voice? Bring things to mind of ways that we've sinned against you. What ways have you sinned against God? I mean, really think about it. Let those things, those images or, or those, those words come to your mind right now. You see that sin? You see it? I want you to know something. If you see that sin right now, I want you to know something that Jesus offers you today. Jesus offers you repentance. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you love. He offers you freedom. He offers you atonement. He offers you grace, mercy, and he offers you truth. No matter how filthy, how unpleasant your sin may look or feel. You need to hear this. Isaiah 53 tells us this. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, shall, shall, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many, many to become, to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear the iniquities, bear all of them. He shall bear their iniquities. Jesus, he embraced all of my filth. Jesus, he embodied, fully embodied all of my sin, all of your sin. And he hung there on the cross of crucifixion and he suffered. Even when I was exchanging him away, even when you were exchanging him away, he was accepting the exchange of taking your place. And the suffering wasn't diluted. No, he didn't try to dull the pain with wine mixed with gall. No, he embraced and embodied all of it. He was mocked knowing that we would be. He became all of our sin knowing that we would, we would be sinful and need his grace. He was the only one that could actually do that. Jesus Christ is the one whom God used and sacrificed because he loved the world so that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him would have eternal or everlasting life. We, we are the crowd. We are Barabbas. We're the crowd shouting, crucify, crucify. We're Barabbas who was pardoned and freed from his, from his entanglement. We are the sheep who have gone astray. We are the ones who have sinned. We are the ones who deserve death. Yet, yet, he became every ounce of our sin. And therefore, becoming our sin, he fully deserved to have the wrath of God laid upon him by way of this suffering, this shameful, degrading death. Because he became all of our sin. There's a sobering joy, a sobering joy that comes with the costly exchange of Jesus becoming all of our sin. There's a sobering joy because the costly exchange that Christ gave it cost him his life, but in turn, it gave us freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ.
me pray for us. Lord, I know you see us even now. God, as we now reflect and we respond to what you've actually taught us this morning, to what you've reminded us of this morning, you know what my simple prayer is, Lord? (laughs) There's not any next steps necessarily (laughs) that we need to do. The only step we need to do is just simply be in awe of what you've done. We need to give you thanksgiving. So at every congregation, even those listening online, whatever the case may be, Lord, I just pray. God, as we sing words like praise forever to the King of Kings, as we sing words like holy is our God, as we sing words like your cross was my freedom. Your blood is still reaching. All praise King Jesus, glory to God forever. God, would you, by your kindness, let us just simply worship you and just be in awe and just say thank you. There's nothing we need to necessarily just do. We just, it's just worship. You're the God who thunders and whispers. You're the God who terrifies and befriends. You're the king who hung in agony on beams of wood that you yourself called into being. You are the Savior. You're the king whose footstool is the earth, yet you're the king who knelt down and washed the dirt of the earth off the feet of your disciples. You're the God that we worship, Jesus. This is the gospel we believe in, Lord. Your death, your life, your death, and your resurrection. This is why we sing. This is why we sing the way we sing. This is why we worship this lion and the lamb, this crucified Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to respond and worship to you now. We need you. Would you be glorified? I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.